0: Well, tonight we are continuing our series on Jesus' Beatitudes, that first section of the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles with you, please uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, those the words are also printed in your packets, your worship folders. I am, uh, just for the sake of review, I'm going to uh, read through the entirety of the Beatitudes. But our focus tonight will be on verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of god excuse me blessed are the first eight rather blessed are the pure in heart and for they shall see god i'll begin a reading here at verse one matthew chapter five seeing the crowds jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In our passage for tonight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're going to end the reading of God's word. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, it's not difficult as we look at the world, as we look at our society around us, to see that our world is full, is replete with moral problems. Uh, all you have to do is uh, flip on the TV and look at the news. Uh, if You still read a newspaper, look through the newspaper, uh, the magazines and the rack, and the store. You see that there is really. Uh, um, moral degradation all over in society and throughout the world. And if that's not troubling enough to, to notice all of the social problems uh, that surround us, we often become frustrated when we see how our, our leaders, our government, tries to, to deal with those problems. Because as you know, brothers and sisters, our government often deals with social problems without any concern for the human heart. Which is the seat, the, 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 the seat of our affections and our desires. As an example of this, uh, take for an example the unfortunate problem of out-of-wedlock births. I read a, a staggering statistic. That over the last few years, more than 40% of births, just in our country, were out-of-wedlock births. And unsurprisingly, those rates were highest among groups that struggled economically. Educationally, groups that struggle with crime in their neighborhood. And as you know, there are, are a host of government organizations that, that throw scads of money trying to, to improve the way of life by giving better schooling and housing. These things aren't bad in themselves. But our government throws money at the problem thinking that the problem is inequality. The problem is inequality. Well, the article I read made a modest proposal. Maybe this money should go towards bringing down the illegitimate birth rates that lead to all these other problems and inequalities. Our government is content to deal with the symptoms, but not the heart of the matter. Well, as Christians, of course, we could go even further. Doesn't the problem lie within the human heart? That certainly is what Jesus says in Matthew 15. For example, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. That's what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and you name it. See, Jesus shows us that the sins of lust and fornication, not just inequality, are once again reminded that the teaching of our Lord Jesus so often contradicts the prevailing thought of our society. And here, once again, Jesus challenges the attitude of our sinful world by declaring that the heart is the heart of the matter. The heart is the heart of the matter. Specifically, Jesus teaches that purity of heart is at the center of our existence because we were made to fellowship with our Creator God, who is holy, who is righteous, and who is pure. And so our Lord, unlike our civil leaders, isn't concerned merely with addressing bad habits or coming up with new programs for improving how society operates. You no, know, the heart is the heart of the man. And specifically, this Beatitude addresses our hearts and says they must be pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. Only the pure in heart will stand in God's presence for eternity. I want to notice four things with you tonight. First of all, the prerequisite of our purity. Secondly, the poverty of our purity. In the third place, the provision of our purity. you gone on to do a master's degree, you know what a prerequisite course is. If you've had kids that have gone to college, you've probably heard them griping about a prerequisite course that they have to take. Well, a prerequisite course, of course is a more basic course, a more basic class that you have to take in order to take some other classes that you need to fill out your major. So if you want a specific professor or a specific course, You have to take some prerequisites before you can get there. They are necessary for you to make your way through your your education. Well, there's a far more serious prerequisite that exists for you and for me if we are going to stand for eternity before the presence of a holy God. And that prerequisite, Jesus says, is perfect purity of heart. Without perfect purity of heart, none of us could possibly stand in God's presence. None of us could enjoy perfect fellowship with God, that very thing for which we were created. Listen to me as I read Psalm 24. The psalmist writes this in verses 3 and 4. He asks, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully. That is the person who may stand forever in the presence of God, enjoying the most precious gift of all, God Himself and His approval. Who can do that? Only those who are first, pure in heart. The psalmist explains what that, that purity of heart is. The pure in heart are those who reject what's false and embrace the truth of God, he delights in the truth. The pure in heart hates deceitfulness and compromise. He hates, as James says in James 4, hates double-mindedness. The pure in heart is not an offense. His heart is not divided between worldly pleasures and the pleasure of God not divided between God's will and the opinions of the world. The pure in heart recognize the the utter necessity for an unqualified and uncompromising pursuit of God's favor and God's will. Ian Duguid, who's a Christian commentator, talks about the seriousness of being pure in heart, not being double-minded, but singularly committed to God. He says this, we can't have it both ways. We can not be easy and, and comfortable with the world and easy and comfortable with God. Either our uncompromising purity will make us uncomfortable with the sin that surrounds us and somewhat uncomfortable companions for those around us who want to be left alone in their sin or alternatively our compromise will make us uncomfortable in God's presence, but we can't have it both ways. We have to choose whose esteem is more precious to us and then live in pursuit of that faith. Because God is holy. Because He is uncompromisingly pure. Because He puts a high value on our wings. Purity small, for, let's say, an interview with God, how would you fare on the basis of your own purity, your own personal purity? There is, for all those going in for uh, an interview, a work interview, uh, a certain question that everyone seems to dread. The question, what is your greatest weakness? been asked that question, and the trick in answering that question, at least I'm I'm told this is the trick, is to answer the question and show that you're sufficiently self-aware, but at the same time answer the question so that they still want to hire you. Um, You want to show your competency as a worker. And so the standard advice is, when you're asked what's your greatest weakness, you respond by turning your weakness into a strength. So you might say to uh, the person who is interviewing you, well, my greatest weakness is I'm just too hard of a worker. You know, I just, I take my my work too seriously. My weakness, in other words, is the thing that you're looking for. I'm going to be a really great, diligent, hard-working employee. But I wonder how many of us could stand before God and say, well, God, my greatest weakness that I'm just too pure. I'm just too holy. Who of us could say in the presence of a holy God, I've kept my heart pure. I'm clean. I'm without sin. Well, of course, none of us could say that. None of us would dare say such a thing because in terms of our need for purity and holiness, our greatest weakness is not our strength. Purity of heart is our greatest need, to be sure. It's the greatest necessity but it's our greatest shortfall, our greatest poverty. It's the thing that we lack most. And as we read in, in Matthew 15, it's not our behavior that's the problem. It's not outside factors that, that lead us uh, to uh, be unworthy in the sight of God. No, Jesus says, the problem is the heart. It's not what comes out of the mouth that makes a person unclean, it's what's in the heart. Our hearts are the problem, Jeremiah says in chapter 17. He says they're deceitful above all things. They are desperately corrupt, seemingly beyond cure. Our hearts are defiled by nature, Scripture tells us. They are not filled with thoughts of God. They are not uh, filled with pleasure. In what is right and true and pure and worthy of God's approval. If our inmost thoughts and desires were broadcast on the evening news, we would all run and hide and cower and shame. And that's the truth for every single one of us. Because you see, brothers and sisters, as Romans 5 tells us, we have inherited Adam's impurity. And every single day, by our sinful choices, by the desires and the affections of our hearts, we testify to the fact that we are sons and daughters of Adam. Our natural impurity, our purity is extremely impoverished. And so, where do we go? What do we do? How do we obtain this purity of heart which is utterly necessary for us to spend eternity with our holy God. The glorious answer to that all-important question, how do we obtain this purity of heart? The answer is, we go to God Himself. You see, God is the good news in this story. God is the one who provides perfect purity of heart. God, being full in grace and full of mercy, provided a perfect substitute to do for us what we could never do and to be what we could never be on our own. Our gracious God provided His Son, Jesus Christ, who is Himself the embodiment, the perfect embodiment of purity and holiness news of the gospel brothers and sisters is that from all eternity the father and the son covenanted with one another they made a pact with one another and they determined that it would be good it would be for the glory of god that the son would come to earth and offer himself as a perfect sacrifice for the removal of our sin and guilt one who would come to offer in his own flesh A pure life that alone could restore the relationship between a holy God and wretched sinners like us. And according to God's will, Jesus did just that. He became your substitute. He became my substitute. He came to Earth. He became like us in every way. He took on humanity, yet without sin, so that He might actually stand in our place and rescue us from the death and the destruction of sin. He stood in our place and He obeyed God's law to the T. He fulfilled it in whole and in part so that He might give to us, earn for us, a righteousness and a purity that makes us acceptable forever in the presence of God. That's what He does for us morning we studied a portion of Hebrews and encourage you to even take a brief tour in the epistle to the Hebrews because there we learn so much about the marvelous work of Christ as our perfect substitute, as our our mediator before God, as the one who was provided and given to us for our purity. In chapter seven of Hebrews, for example, we learn that purity, perfection, could not be obtained for God's people uh, through the old covenant priesthood, through the system of sacrifices that were offered daily off, on and on for sin. We read in chapter 7 of Hebrews that there was a need for a greater, more perfect priest and better sacrifices. There was need for a better hope by which we can draw near to God. And the writer of the Hebrews says, of Jesus, that Jesus became that priest for us. And he was a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. He was not of the Levitical line of priests. He was of his own line. He was a priest by the power of an indestructible life. And because of that, verse 22 and following, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Better things. For Jesus the writer says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office but Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. he is a priest forever because he continues forever and what's the result of that consequently Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. You see, Christ came as the second Adam, and He came as the provision for our purity, because He is the mediator, the permanent mediator, of a better covenant that actually results in us being declared pure in the sight of God. Through the shedding of His blood, we're not merely ceremonially clean. We are not just outwardly clean. But we are cleansed in our consciences so that we can now serve the living God. Read in chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience dead works to serve the living God when we have no purity and no means of obtaining Christ for us to be the provision for our purity brothers and sisters that is the best news that you will ever hear to have a cleansed conscience through Christ so that we can now serve the living God as we read here in Hebrews 9 14 God doesn't leave us in a state of impurity he doesn't leave us in the the filth and the unrighteousness where he found us no he's cleansed our consciences so that we can now serve him he's daily making us holy he's giving us a desire for purity he is changing us conforming us and our characters to the very image of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Despite the sin that still clings to us in part, our daily prayer should be like that of the psalmist in Psalm 51. God, make me pure. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a right, a steadfast spirit in me so that I can honor you in the practice of purity. That prayer is of submission, it's an act of faith, it's, it means that we are going to make use of all the means of grace that God has given to us so that we will grow in the purity of heart and put that purity into practice. I want to conclude tonight by talking about how we are to pursue and practice purity of heart. as those who have been changed, who have been <coughs> purified in their consciences by Christ, Now, how do we put that practice into practice, that purity? Two things in particular. First, we put our purity into practice. We grow in purity by meditating upon the Word of God, by meditating upon the Word of God. I'd like to read just a portion here, of Psalm 119, 9 through 16. Psalmist writes, how can a young man keep his way pure? I will meditate on your precepts, fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Do you desire a godly, righteous, pure life and seek God in his word? That is how our way is kept pure. As we not simply know God's word, but we, we store it up. We memorize it, we hide it within our hearts so that we would not sin against God. So that we would grow in our affection for God, our love for Him, our delight in His commandments. That is why we must meditate faithfully upon the Word of God, both in our private study. It's also why we must make it a priority for ourselves and for our families that we come during the week to study God's word in the communion of the saints, in particular on the Lord's day, that we make his word front and foremost in our lives, that we might grow in purity. Secondly, we pursue or practice purity of heart by claiming the promise and cultivate the hope of dwelling eternally in God's presence. Cultivating the hope, claiming the promise of dwelling eternally in God's presence. Apostle John writes in 1 John 3, 2-3, Beloved, we are God's children, now and what we will be, has not yet appeared. But we know that when He, that is Jesus, appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Listen to this. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. As I said already tonight, to behold God, to see God, to live forever before his throne, that's the primary purpose of our existence. It is to be our overwhelming desire as believers to see God. To be forever in His presence, worshiping Him, glorifying Him, enjoying Him forever. And we are to cultivate that desire, that hope, even now, as we wait for the return, the glorious return, and the general resurrection of the dead. Since we have that promise that we will be like Him, that we will see Him and be like Him, we are called right now to pursue the righteous character, the purity, of our future heavenly dwelling, to purify ourselves from anything in our lives that would contaminate our witness in this world, and to practice holiness out of the reverence for God that He deserves. Saints of God, it is no surprise to you when I say that our world despises the idea of holiness and righteousness and purity of heart because they hate the God that we love and serve. The idea of living forever before the face of God, they could not object to that more. But that is not the mind of the Christian, Jesus says. By Christ, through the work of His Spirit, we have been filled with a different mind We have been filled with a zealous love for the God who first loved us. We have been drawn to the beauty of Christ's cross. We are motivated by God's word and His promises to be personally pure and to live a life that conforms to our new status, pure, washed, righteous in the sight of God. As true believers, we desire above all to see God, to behold Yahweh, and to be finally, completely, and eternally conformed to his likeness. That's true blessedness. Blessed are the pure in heart. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this blessed promise extended toward all who belong to you by faith. Not only that we have been declared to be righteous and pure in your sight, we, we have the, the privilege of, of coming to you in prayer and in worship to have our, our needs presented before your very throne because of Christ, because we are clothed in his righteousness, not on account of works, for they are dead, but on account of the work of Christ that we have by grace through thank you that we have been made partakers of this glorious righteousness. We thank you too that you are not finished working in us yet. Until Christ returns, you are working in our, in our persons by your Holy Spirit. You are working through the preaching and study of your word. You are working through that glorious hope that we have. so that you have made us worthy and you are making us worthy of entering one day into your presence for all eternity to enjoy you forever. thank you for that glorious promise. We thank you for that great hope that sustains us and uplifts us. We pray that we go, as we go out into the world in this coming week, that we would be those who are pure in heart, rejoicing in the presence and the blessing and the countenance of God in our lives. Pray, all this in Christ's name.